Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are at the very beginning of the MCU, looking at John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And back with us again, we have Jonathan and Tabitha Carlisle from the Princess Bride Minute. How are you guys doing? Very well. I'm doing good. I'm excited for today's minute. Because I think Iron Man might be coming. <sighs> the, the end of the 10-hour flight. Here he comes to save the day. Like jet lag issues. Like he, I, I expect him to be a little dizzier. You know, there's a lot of action for <laughs> having been cramped in a seat. Or, or, or have to like yeah. stretch a little bit too. You think his muscles are going to like, he's going to have to like get down. Oh, ah, okay. But you know, Jonathan ready. planted a seed for me in, a couple of days ago about what is actually going on in this suit. This whole idea of electrical muscle stimulation so he could actually come out stronger physically <laughs> than when he went in. That delights me and I can't quite let that go. <laughs> so he's getting mas- a massage inside yeah. the suit. Oh, <laughs> it's like absolutely. A treatment. Very limber. Very nice. <laughs> I, you know, here's does he stop along the way? Like, does he, okay, one, does he go, have to go to the bathroom or does did he plan that into the suit to handle that? And then when he's hungry, is he like stopping like in Russia, like behind a building, changing out of his suit, going and sitting down and having yeah. a having a meal at a cafe, running back around the corner and putting his suit back on and leaving. Like, wh- how is all this uh, happening? Or is it just like, is he getting there on an empty stomach, I guess is my concern. I, <laughs> I have to imagine there is some sort of snack shelf built into the suit. He's got to have some snacks, but it's really probably just peanuts in, a, in an it's like a exercise of then. cruel irony. It's a feed tube that just gives him peanuts and like pretzel sticks. <laughs> Jeez. And, oh, just like flights. That's great. There's got to be some kind of protein bars in there, you know, or something. True. But, and I'm sure he has right. it hooked up for uh, bathroom uses in there. But we see that in the next movie. But I don't know if the Mach 3 is is all. Oh, oh he may not have solved down. that yet. So maybe he's just dehydrated and hungry because he had to make it through long trips. He didn't want to drink so too much before he, he went. <laughs> maybe. All busy. Does he, so does he deal with icing issues with uh, when he's relieving himself like planes? Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, I don't care for this <laughs> things, discussion. Things I shouldn't put oh. into my hair. Yeah. <laughs> There's some sort of a mid-air oh. purge. I don't care for yeah. it. Uh. Oh, no. And what if the hatch, like, freezes open? Icing issues. You don't want that either. Then oh. it's all bad. All oh, Andy. Bad. God, yeah. you're the worst. How did you... I know. Well, let's let, let's get back on track. We're, of course, looking at Iron Man Minute 78. Oh, man. On today's show, the minute starts with Abu separating father and son, and it ends with Iron Man separating terrorists from hostages. That was that was clever what you just did here. there. That was really clever. Uh, separating terrorists. <laughs> this is uh, harder to watch than the last minute uh, because of no more happy grandpa in Said Berdria. I really liked Abu. He was he was the terrorist that I had grown to love. <laughs> and now he's throwing kids. He's stomping on dads. That was not cool. The stomp. The, the stomping. We just no. can't like him anymore. No. So sad. You know, it's funny, John, I'd listened to John Favreau. He was talking about um, how he cast uh, Saeed Badrea to be in this part. I guess that it, well, it was initially written as just one villain and uh, it was just Raza. And uh, Saeed had actually come in to audition for the part. And I think that Favreau said that his wife 
was in like a class with Saeed's wife or something like that. They were doing something where they knew each other. And so she's just like, oh, just just give him a try. And, and he's like, oh, I, I don't think we have a part for him. But he auditioned him and he loved him so much. He's like, we have to write a part for him. We have to get him in there. So that's how this whole part of Abu was written and and built into the film. And uh, he is a delight, whether he's lovable grandpa Abu or mean terrorist Abu. He is. He's one of those people that... If he was developed longer, you could almost he could almost be that villain that you kind of hate that you love him like Loki. <laughs> yeah, we get more of the family here. We get the kid and the father and the separation. And then we get uh, them having to watch dad get kind of stomped on and tortured a bit. And then we have utility stunt player Mark Aaron Wagner, who is he's the terrorist who who grabs dad, who puts the gun up to his head and uh, yells at him in in some language that the Reddit community wouldn't uh, translate for me. And now I'm just going to blame them. I'm just going to blame Once them. Again, Reddit let you down. <laughs> he's getting ready to kill him. And then uh, the son screams. And then this is when we get the, the sound of what is that that's coming and it's a great look that uh, little Javon Tahir gives as he kind of looks up into the sky. He screams and hears the sound and turns and looks up. <gasps> Here it comes. This is the fantastic hero landing that we get of Iron Man. It's so good. Yeah, it's sort of like this is this is the first one that sets up hero landings for the entire MCU. Like everybody lands this way. <laughs> yeah, very true. With the clunk of his knee as yeah. it. Yeah. It's very much kind of an Addy Granoff yeah. pose from the comics that Granoff was doing uh, around the time of the extremist storyline. Just that where they got a lot of this suit design from came from the look that he created. It was much less the skin tight sort of superhero look that had had lasted for so long, much more of just kind of metal mm-hmm. parts. And it, it works really nicely. And I just love that. I always find it interesting that his first move after the landing, you know, we spent so long looking at kind of the magic of this suit, right? And how, um, like, the the expectations of the repulsor and the weapons that we know are hidden in there. And his very first move is to punch a guy. Like, not even using the te- that technology, just using the, the brute strength that's built into the suit. I, there's something really satisfying about that for me. It's also interesting that he doesn't talk. Like, through the majority of these minutes, he doesn't even talk. He just is action. Where if this was Spider-Man, you know, there would be tons of quips and yeah. uh, and speaking. So it's interesting that it's, yeah, he doesn't really say anything. That speaks to the fact that, again, this was all reshoots where they uh, did not have the actual suit in the Russian smelting plant where they had initially filmed this scene. This was all the CG stuff that they had ILM do, and they didn't have anything with uh, Robert Downey Jr. involved in this. So it's it's all just effects work on on a stage. The only line he has this whole time, uh, we'll get that in uh, in the next minute. But uh, But otherwise, yeah, it's just all effects work and background players and stuff. Yeah. Would the people there assume that there was a person inside, or could they think that it was a robot? that was there yeah you got to imagine that this would be akin to magic yeah yeah to see like a robot man coming down i mean from the heavens it would feel to me i would say is it an alien like what what are these people thinking right and when they hear the sound at first i was thinking it sounds like a fast airplane or something coming in but also could it have sounded 
like a bomb, you know, when they all look up, yeah. would they possibly be thinking that a bomb was coming in or something that right. they likely are accustomed to? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here's this robotic being, you know, yeah. I don't know. It is interesting. Totally crazy thing to see. It's it's one of these things that you would imagine would happen. And then if he never came out to say he was Iron Man or people didn't have this whole reveal, it would be like this story that gets passed down from Afghan villager to Afghan villager of the day that they saw the metal man come right. from the heavens and save them, you know, <laughs> but no one would have any idea what it was. Yeah. I got to go back to the fact that we don't hear Robert Downey Jr. speak in, in this sequence, because this sequence is just full of hero moments. And I'm trying to, as since you guys mentioned that, I'd never really thought about it. I'm trying to imagine what this sequence would have been like had we had the quips, because I find this a, a sequence that's really heavy up on the threat. And and uh, I, I think hearing his voice would have been for the worse for the scene. I think it would have okay. shown that he was thinking and i don't know when t me imagining tony talking it would be like he's taking care of business you know he's thinking his way through something he's thinking his way ahead of something but i think i think it's actually important that he's not speaking here because this is just a kind of a personal reaction right i mean yeah he heard that they were doing something and then he was just going to go take care of it because he had dealt with them before and this is like his his anger moment He's just taking care of business, but not in that thoughtful way, just like in the emotional way. Right. And yet, while well, he's taking care of business here, I mean, I think that this is, these are Tony's first kills that aren't self-defense. Like it's the first time that he's killing people that isn't self-defense, yeah. right? Because when he was at the cave, it was kind of self-defense. He was trying to get mm -hmm. out and get away. But right. this is, I mean, that's, that's like emotional thing right there to be the, first time you've killed somebody and to kill multiple people. I don't know. It is interesting. They also don't show him from the inside looking at his mask or talking to mm -hmm. Jarvis or uh, at all during this, which in future movies, they tend to do that a lot. So it, it is interesting that we're looking at this from the outside so much. Well, and it gives you an interesting perspective on on what was what was Tony's goal, right? I, I mean, he he finds out a few minutes ago, movie time, that his weapons, that Stark Industries has not stopped selling weapons, and in fact has been selling them to these terrorists who happen to be the same terrorists that had uh, kidnapped, tortured, and, and held him. And then he finds out that Obadiah is behind it and has uh, been kind of dealing under the table to give these guys these weapons. And and he's fuming. You know, he's upset that that everything is is not going the way that that he's intended. And so what was his goal? I mean, was it seeing the images of these same terrorists? Was he intending to go over there to kill them? Was he just going to destroy the Stark weapons? What did, did he come over here without a plan? And it it's it speaks interesting because I don't think he was coming over to play hero. I don't think it was to save the villagers. Although I do think there's some of that because obviously we know it's Gilmira. That's where Yinsen is from. So I think that there's a little bit more of that personal connection with it. But it does make you wonder what's he what's he intending and and is he just all of a sudden killing these people out of anger right now? I agree. I I think he didn't have a plan except to maybe destroy his weapons but he kind of dropped right down into in the middle of a mess and he just yeah it really it. does yeah, yeah it, this feels like a just an emotional sort of a developmental beat for the character to you know first he reacts in rage 
and then comes to his senses after after that and starts to define a, a character code, right? A moral code for how he is going to how he's going to use the suit, what he's going to use it for when it comes into into play, you know, when he's Tony Stark versus Iron Man. And I think we need this suit to show one extreme so that we can better understand kind of the power of the suit and and how he wields it. Do you think the terrorists who are here who were also at the cave have a sense that this is Tony Stark, having seen him escape in a Mark One suit? I bet they do. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah. Yeah. If any of them are thinking, what are the odds? Like, I'm looking at sequence at the sequence right after he he does his initial bout, right? He lands and he punches the guy and then he shoots the guy with the repulsor and shoots another guy, uh, two guys with the repulsor. And he turns around and he's got the Motley Crew kind of lineup where we have five terrorists. But in the lineup, they each have one or more civilians and they're all staring. And I'm trying to read their faces a little bit. Like, what are they thinking? There's a guy who looks like Bobcat Goldthwaite, who's just yelling stuff. <laughs> uh, and then we get another series of fantastic hero shots, right? We get that super close-up rotating shot of Iron Man, you know, the mask. Uh, and then we get to test the computer and make sure that it works. These guys, like, we're going to do that on civilian, 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 civilian. Thank goodness the little shoulder rockets don't work. And all of these guys drop like what do you think if your grandma you know with the uh, holding the baby you know what do you think if your mom with child as these guys just fall from right behind you like that is a that's a that's a terrifying uh moment and and didn't have like a you know a twitchy yeah. finger impulse after they uh, get plugged right. through the head is he able to select who the terrorist and who the civilian is somehow with his moving fingers or, you know, how is his computer sensing? We didn't, we didn't hear him say, hey, Jarvis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe he did it with his, uh, with his uh, toes, with his thong. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Thong toe, right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, because he really needs to trust his system that he hasn't tested out very much. Maybe he's got like a blinking system. Right. Because he didn't know how much he wanted to speak, I guess, or something. So maybe he's... Yeah. He's got like a confirmation blink when he's Uh, it's all modeled after Diving Bell and the Butterfly, right? It's just he blinks. That's all. He could write a whole book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The guys who are designing the uh, HUD, they do talk about how it's it's eye focused and and where his eye focuses. If it's gonna, if he's doing something with it, if he stares at it long enough, it will target something. And I don't know how he programs it to determine hostile versus civilian, but somehow I'm guessing that by looking at them, he's found a way to classify I, I don't maybe know. maybe he's uh he's looking at each one real quick and then he blinks left eye for good and right eye for bad or something <laughs> <laughs> oh, i would mess that up so I, bad uh, <laughs> i'd love to see the uh face shot of robert downey jr as he's going through that yeah. left blink, right blink, right blink, left blink, right blink. <laughs> having sort of a seizure <laughs> <laughs> It's a uh, it is a really interesting moment, though. And actually, I want to jump back, though, before before this one, the shots after he he lands, which looks so great. He stands when he starts punching the guy. And then we get the shots of of him using his repulsor blasts. Those for me are the shots right up to where he freezes as he's looking at the people. Mm -hmm. Those are the most CG shots of Iron Man that I feel like I see through this entire film. They always look artificial to me. Yeah. Especially the one where he does the double blast at the guy in the distance and blasts him into kind of the the ammunition boxes. 
I guess I don't know what I'm looking at there because I for me I I buy it. I buy the little the bullets ricocheting off the suit and the sparks. I it looks looks present. It's not that, it's just the suit itself. I just don't buy the color just really? never matches the background. Yeah. Huh. I struggle with it. Well, they do help themselves with the only time that they actually show Iron Man the you know, the suit interacting with the ground is is the landing. Right. So I, I think I think besides the colors, I think that would probably be the harder part is uh, if they were to pull away just a little bit and show him full body all the time, I think that'd be more obvious. They do have one shot right about 36 seconds where you do see him standing on the ground, and that's another one where I don't buy it very well. So I, I guess I'm glad that they, for the most part, avoid showing his feet. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, the shadows don't work there. It's a little thing, but it's one of those moments that uh, I think they do such a great job. And it's again, it's 11 years yeah. old, this film. And so the effects work probably I bought a lot more at the time. Um, and I think now it's just and my it's eyes, so yeah. fast. Like all of these are such fast shots that, you know, it's easy to let it go. Don't, you know. Oh, yeah. Sort of ruin it for yourself by watching it frame by frame. Yeah, and don't watch it minute by minute. By four, by before, right? Smoke is hard, and there's a lot of of stuff in here where you have smoke interacting with the physical environment, or the supposedly physical environment, and and that for me is looks, you know, is where it starts to look a little bit, you know, ugly rendered, uh, not necessarily, you know, a part of the scene. Right. Right. We've done the IMDb game before with uh, some of our cast and uh, and crew as they pop up just to try to figure out what are the four films that IMDb lists as ones that they feel whatever their algorithm has determined that represents that person's career. And so I thought an interesting one here would be our utility stunt player, Mark Aaron Wagner. He's the one, like I said, he's the utility stunt player who's holding the gun up to the father's head and the one who is Iron Man's first kill here. He's mostly a stunt player. His four films that uh, that he has on IMDb are Spider-Man, uh, the original Sam Raimi one, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Iron Man, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's I'm Chest. Looking at his credits, I'm so glad you didn't actually make us play that. I He's been in so much stuff. I never would have been able to pick this out. <laughs> he actually will pop up again in Iron Man 3. He's going to play one of the extremist soldiers, and he's credited as such. So He's done a lot of, of Marvel, too. From Deadpool, Deadpool, uh, or, uh, Captain Marvel coming up. Um, he's a stunt driver. He's got a lot of, st- a lot of Marvel stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. the Wasp. Yeah. The, is it, who is he in uh, Spider-Man, does it say? Or is it just like Trash Man number three or something? He just has stunts. No, he's just, he just does yeah. stunts in, in that. Yeah. So oh, okay. he's not even credited as uh, as we are learning with these utility stunt players. So often they're just credited as utility stunt player, but they actually do end up having more of a role. Now, it actually, as I look at Spider-Man, it does say that he was Tobey Maguire's stunt uh-huh. double. Yeah, and it, it, that's, the, that's what uh, triggered me too, Andy. Like when you look at the photos that he has uh, associated with his bio, like the the hero shot of Spider-Man jumping off of the crane, you know, doing the swan dive off of the crane at the end with the city behind him is, you know, that he credits as himself in the suit there. Very cool. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Um, Anthony Martin's the father uh, there. He was uh-huh. in Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, as a stuntman as well. And along with amazing, he's also an amazing Spider-Man. Uh-huh. But yeah, he was also in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And his IMDb, uh, uh, again, I'm not going to make you guys try guessing because uh, 
who knows Anthony Martin's, you know, what the what stuff he's done in. It's hard to say when people are doing stunts, but Iron Man is in his top four. It's Iron Man, The Kingdom, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Who one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's been credited in a number of other projects. So at least he's been getting some uh, some credits in addition to his his stunt work which he does quite a bit of. Interesting. Yeah. The script is interesting for this whole sequence because as I talked about in the last minute, it really, Iron Man comes down and saves this boy who had gone out to rescue his puppy. Arto was the puppy's name. He goes out to rescue his puppy and Iron Man comes in and rescues him. And then it's interesting, the way that the script is written, it's really almost from the boy's perspective as as Iron Man kind of gives him back to his mom and then he runs back out to watch Iron Man and we kind of follow the boy as he's watching Iron Man. Iron Man hits a soldier, the boy moves for a better view and sees Iron Man in full terrible glory, it says, deflecting withering fire while laying waste to a cluster of militants with his fists and bursts of RT. So uh, it's interesting the way that that it's very much kind of giving us a sense of the perspective of the child, like the kid reading the comic book almost. It's an interesting way to to take that. And in fact, it goes so far, this is an interesting moment where Iron Man, he picks a soldier up who's about to fire an RPG. He holds an RT palm to the man's face. Oh, Talking about Iron Man and Tony coming down and deciding, I'm going to start killing people now, to having this moment written in the script, it's like, Wow, all of a sudden he went really dark. Mm-hmm. Wow, Tony. And he doesn't do anything because the soldier, sh- uh, shuddering in terror, screams, Geneva Convention, Article 3, Geneva Convention. And then he disarms the soldier, tosses him down, and the, the soldier scrambles away for his life. That Tony is so reactive to Geneva Convention after, you know, the plunder uh, yeah. is an interesting take. And and that the terrorist is is aware enough to call Article Three of the Geneva Convention. I don't know. Do I believe that? <laughs> These are studied terrorists. They are apparently. Uh, I don't know. It's it's such a dark direction to have taken Tony. I think it's good that they really avoided that. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else for this minute. What about you guys? I'm good here. I think I'm good. That's oh, my notes. We talked about him controlling the the targeting thing, but I would have to say that I do like that they did include. Uh, the shot of his hand, and that he kind of, you can see that he's doing something to control turning down the the repulsor. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, to see him control everything that he does in that suit would be too much. But I do like that they at least acknowledged some kind of manual control for something. So we can at least see that he is controlling the suit, and it's not just a robot program that he just happens to be inside of or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need that. Yeah, do you think that that's like a a shutter that's kind of spinning down, closing on his hand? Or is it just the RT power from his arc reactor is just, he's like lowering it or something? I, I can't quite figure out, like I can't see it well enough to figure out if it's actually like a, an actual shutter that's closing on his palm there. It looked like a shutter to me. I, that's how I saw it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But you're right. It, regardless, it's it's interesting just the way that he kind of moves his hand and wiggles his fingers to kind of, I assume that's what he's doing yeah. to kind of turn the power off. A lot of interesting stuff going on right now. But... We'll get to uh, kind of jump back into this tomorrow. Jonathan, Tabitha, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having us. Do you guys want to remind everybody where they can find you out there on the interwebs? 
And do we have an answer for for when that UHF 62nd is going to answer? I know we said we'd che- we needed to check in every day. Are we any closer? A little bit closer. I will say it'll be Tuesday. It won't be this Tuesday. Maybe not next Tuesday. <laughs> a Tuesday. A Tuesday. <laughs> a little bit closer. Noted. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tabitha T. Rex. And uh, you can also find Jonathan and I guesting on the Groundhog Minute. So they've they finished and then even repeated it again um, <laughs> for another season for Groundhog Minute, which was funny. But we were guests for a week of that. And that, that was a fun podcast as well. So check out the Groundhog Minute. That's awesome. Oh, what a great idea. What a great movie. That's one that you think that they would just kind of keep redoing over and over again. I know. I was wondering how many seasons they would keep repeating it. And on Groundhog Day this year, it, it, it was the last episode of going through it the second time. And they said, this is it. They were going to just keep going with it. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining the show today, everybody. Uh, We appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. (laughs) 